Glad you're here. Tell them you really need it. <laughs> Amen. I'm glad you're, glad you're here. Man, you need this thing. All right. We, we, we are excited. I, I'm, I'm pumped about tonight, about this weekend, just excited what God's doing. And, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, that, that God loves us and uh, we love each other. Amen. I said, God loves us, and we love each other. Amen. Shelby and I, we've had a kind of a whirlwind week. We took off Monday and flew to Florida, and we were Convoy of Hope in Florida for several days. Man, i got to tell you something. God has just done so many great things for us. And, you know, when we give to Convoy, we're actually giving through Convoy. Uh, Convoy of Hope doesn't really keep any money. That's one of the things that the corporate world loves about them. Uh, but they just they just put it in the hands of people who are on the ground doing great things, and and uh, this week in Florida, we got to hear from the man who, uh, I believe it was in 1999, he and his wife were on a cruise that stopped over in Haiti, and they took a day trip and got up by themselves and wandered around, and, and uh, uh, while they were there, God began to speak to them, dropped a vision in their heart, they went home, sold everything, they moved back to Haiti with a vision to change the nation. And now many of the children that, uh, that have been there uh, on their compound, and they, they built a school, and, and uh, uh uh, the kids have grown up through the school and graduated, got educated, uh, got sent off, brought back, and now are working uh, to help facilitate what God's doing there. And, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing. That, that, you know, they're feeding 54,000 kids every single day in Haiti. And, uh, and, and the feeding program gets them into the Christian school where they do educate them, but they also talk to them about Jesus. And then they go home saved, and their mom and dad are thankful because their kids are getting stronger and sharper, and, and, uh, and then they grow up, and they, got, they have this vision, and they're changing their nation. It's amazing what's happening there. I mean, it's just amazing, that, and we're a part of that. And I, I just got to tell you, man, I, uh, man, I love you guys. You know, uh, you know, I don't know if you understand it or not, but usually, you know, it's right, right in the neighborhood of 20, 25 grand every year that, that we send out on one day. You know, sometimes a little bit more, you know, 30 grand. I'm believing for about 40 grand this year because I believe God's going to increase you. And, uh, you know, when, uh, and, uh, and we're not anywhere near taking the offering, so don't get, ooh, something money, oh, my God. Uh, uh, it, but it's just one day's wage above and beyond your tithe and offering, right? And uh, we, just, we just take one day's salary and bring it in. And, and uh, you know, what, what uh, Shelby and I did this year is we just believe God, what do we want our salary to be? And we, we gave that way. And so I just really love you guys because you can pay us good. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I hate going to Shelby and asking her what number is in your mind. I hate it when God tells me to ask her because hers is always way higher than mine, you know. And, uh, woo! And uh, just the fact that, that we do that and you respond. And I just got to tell you something. You rock. I mean, you rock. And, and then they brought out guys that are on the ground, you know, with uh, when uh, the, the Sandy, the storm, Hurricane Sandy, you know, when that, and, they, and they brought the people in to actually do the work that, 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 that Convoy, again, when we give to Convoy, we're actually giving through Convoy. And so uh, just all of this stuff and everything is amazing. You know, you, you don't really stop to think about it, but they are uh, providing food and, and uh, uh, items that are necessary to make it through something after that. But they, they do it in the parking lot usually of churches. So it gets the people to the church ground. And while they're getting, uh, you know, the, the necessities of life and they've just been traumatized by, by this uh, event, there's people there who say, you know, we're, we're glad you got that, but could we just pray with you? And can I tell you that uh, there were hundreds and hundreds of salvations 
of people praying and receiving Christ and bringing their family back to church and getting and, and it's amazing what God's doing and, and and we get to partner with that and be a part of that and I, I think we ought to just give God a hand for using us tonight Amen just thank Him awesome things awesome things are going on and uh, uh, you know and Todd mentioned today that uh, we we had a meeting today and. And looking at the property stuff, just want to continue. We're working on getting stuff so you can get it in your hand and actually see the pieces of ground that we're believing uh, to, to sail. And uh, uh, so that God, you know, it's just amazing what God has done. And the reality is, is that all of the people who are in that industry are looking at it. You know, it's, it's funny because I think that they think we're really smart. Wow, look what you guys are doing. Whoa, that's something else. And, and you know, and we want to be very, very careful to make sure that we never uh, present it to you like, like we are some type of real estate geniuses or something. Uh, we don't have a clue what we're doing. And God's just, we just prayed and we obeyed and God's moving and it is phenomenal. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And uh, you, you guys are blessed. Amen. We're blessed to know you. Amen. Look at somebody tell them, I'm blessed just to know you. Amen. Let's, let's get in the Word. We've been talking about uh, first chair people. And, uh, you know, now we're into first chair families. And uh, we talked about first chair husbands and first chair wives. And tonight we're going to talk about being first chair parents, first chair parenting. And, you know, it, maybe you don't have kids and you're thinking, what good is this? This is going to help you a lot. Uh, because uh, you have to understand that what God asks us to do as a parent is probably very similar to what he does as our father. And, uh, you know, when, when God, uh, when we break it down, you know, I, I mentioned last weekend that uh, I'm kind of a bottom line guy. You know, just always looking for that bottom line. And, and, and that's how we're wanting to bring this to you, that the, the bottom line for a husband bunch of women said love. Come on, man. The bottom line for a husband is, thank you. I was kind of looking for a love, you know, just Barry White or something. Uh, the bottom line for the wife, to help, to help, you know, and, and God has a bottom line for parents too. And you, you can, can I just tell you that uh, every year, very sincere, dedicated first chair Christians will raise kids who end up compromised Christians. Some of them will even turn against the Lord. But it doesn't have to be that way. And, uh, you know, it's really kind of interesting if you stop and think about it, that when God was creating man, and think about how he created children. They're, they're completely helpless without parents and without their constant intervention. And when you combine the constant need of a child with today's worldly influence, it seems like a parent's job is a losing proposition. But we don't need to live in fear of raising lost, angry, unbelieving children. With just one desire, with one choice, one arena at a time, we're moving ourselves towards complete possession of God life. And that's what this first chair life is. You know, in Joshua's day, the campaign was about taking land and, and uh, taking the cities. And what was the prize? It, it was a land of blessing for us and our children and our children's children. It's not just about us. We fasted and asked God the right way for us 
and our children and the next generation, see? And, and you got to understand something. And I just want to make this really clear tonight and put it right up front. The, the defining difference between a second chair believer and a first chair guy or gal is that when confronted with biblical truth that it uncovers a shortcoming, a second chair person will find a, a, a way to justify their position and continue with their compromise, while a first chair person will find strength to make a choice to grow and change. And, you know, you, you're going to look at, at this tonight, and as, as, we, as we dive in, you're going to think to yourself, wow, man, uh, you know, I, I'm, maybe I haven't really been all that good of a parent. That, the point is not to put ourselves under condemnation. The point is to, uh, is to direct ourselves to the path that God has for us right here, right now, so that we get on track and just be a first chair mom and dad. Amen? So, you know, uh, we got to go to work and accept the challenge. And realize, okay, if I haven't loved my wife the way I should, well, I'm going to change. You know, if I haven't helped my husband the way I have, should have, well, it's just make adjustments and change. And if we haven't parented the way that, that God's asked us to, well, let's, let's find the, uh, the passion to get it right with God. And do it his way. You know, the bottom line for a husband is to love. The bottom line for a wife is to help. And surprisingly, the bottom line for a parent. Here's, here's what God wants from parents. The bottom line, courage. Because to do it God's way, man, I'm telling you, in our society, in our secular mindset, to, to, to raise up children God's way is going to take courage. Because you, you have to position yourself to really trust God. You know, God has a big plan for parents. And in the book, you know, when we, when we turn to the Word of God, we find that the answer to the question, what's God's big plan? And I just want to, uh, because of time, I just want to kind of throw a story at you. You can go read it later and, and, and uh, get all filled in on it. But the Jews were pretty upset because God hadn't been answering their prayers. And they were frustrated, and, and they felt like they were followed by, uh, by a cloud of confusion and misfortune. And God's response to them uh, was that their troubles could actually be traced back to their broken marriage vows. And in the course of his rebuke of their marriages, he actually revealed what I think is just an awesome insight for us uh, on creation day assignment for man and wife as parents. And it's in Malachi 2.15. Look at this. He said, But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Look at that. God seeks godly offspring. I'm not certain that we really have wrapped our heart and mind around that reality quite often in, in, in our parenting style. That what God's looking for, uh, you know, think about it. Adam and Eve, man, they, they were set up. And God's intention was that through Adam and Eve, he was going to populate the earth with godly offspring. And he set that plan into motion and he put it in the safekeeping of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Well, actually, in the hands of a mom and a dad. And he, he didn't set his plan in motion for the selfish pleasure of a couple. He wanted something, and 
He was waiting for it. He was counting on it, depending on it, so the rest of his plan could work. God's big plan, you know, was damaged when they fell because all of a sudden we weren't seeing godly offspring. You know, notice that uh, God's top reason uh, for the marriage union, look at what it wasn't. It wasn't to enable you to take advantage of the married head of household tax deduction. Now, I know a lot of people, that's, that's, that's like top on their list. That's why we get married. We get a deduction. You know, it, God's, God's intention for marriage wasn't so that you would get invited to more dinner parties or that you'd have combined income that would position you for a bigger home loan. His big plan wasn't simply so you could have sex. Got real quiet right there. <laughs> Hear that? He said sex. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't so that you could create offspring with the same last name or that you could raise well-adjusted, educated, successful children. His big idea was to populate the earth with godly offspring. You know, think about it like a uh, relay race, if you will. A relay race where you've been given by God the awesome opportunity to pass the baton of godliness to your children. And, you know, in, in a race, in, in a race, and, and you've got the baton, and when, when the baton changes hands, so does the race. You know, it changes everything. And really, if you think about it, it doesn't matter how perfect the form was of the first runner or how incredible the speed was of the second runner. If the last runner doesn't cross the finish line with the baton, the rest of them ran in vain. And the other side of that coin is it doesn't matter how messed up that first runner was. And it doesn't really make any difference what a middle case the second runner was. Come on now, I'm talking about your family tree now. (laughs) You know, and it just don't make any difference how uneducated or unfriendly or unsuccessful or unprosperous... That, no, what matters is that the guy with the finish line, with the baton in his hand, that's what matters to God. And the reality is, is that we, we've got we, we, we to gotta, we gotta get our heart and mind wrapped around the reality that we've got to pass a baton. And God's expecting us to do it. Look at your neighbor and say, God's expecting you to pass the baton. Hallelujah. My, my iPad is on a journey of its own. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. See, reality is you're passing a baton. The problem is you're passing a baton. Second chair parents, data, man, there's tons of data. Second chair parents raise third chair kids. 
Second chair parent, there's so much duplicity and it, it produces confusion in the heart and in the life of the child. And because your commitment really isn't to, uh, to God, but it's really to self, that you just talk God. But you don't actually serve God. And the child grows up knowing that that's just kind of a waste of time. So as a first chair parent, what we got to do is we got to make sure that we're in pursuit of God so that we pass the right baton to our kids. Adam and Eve missed the point. They lived selfishly. Godliness and harmony could have been spread across the earth instead of sinfulness and debauchery. Uh, Genesis 6, 5 in the New Living, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. You know, you start this generational slide, and man, it just takes off. And, and all of a sudden, you know, we realize that without a heart for God, we end up broken. The Bible's actually a record of a heartbroken father who starts over many times in an endless effort to bring home his lost kids. I believe that there's a question that every mom and dad need to answer And it's God asking us, will you fulfill my plan for you and pass on the legacy of godliness to the next generation? Will you give them God life? Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18. Psalmist writes, O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. Look at what he said. He said, as a child, I received it. And then when he says, and to this day, he's speaking of his personal daily experience with God. But his purpose for receiving the baton won't be fulfilled until he passes it to everyone who is to come. You know, if we just look around, we see all kinds of batons dropped all over the ground. And the, the, the compromise is everywhere. Generational slide. It's all through the Bible. You know, first chair, Joshua. Second chair, the elders. The third chair, the next generation. It says about the next generation that they hadn't even heard about God. You know, think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you see the generational slide. You look at David, Solomon, Rehoboam, generational slide. But there's also great family affirming stories in the Bible as well. Boaz and Ruth, the great grandparents of David, and and the life that they passed on to him. Hannah and Elkanah, whose radical obedience shaped the life of the prophet Samuel. Elizabeth and Zechariah, who, who brought up John the Baptist. First chair parents. And all we do is connect our desire with God's plan to shape the future for Him. Here tonight to tell you, parents, that we've got, we, we, we've got this awesome opportunity. And, and can I just tell you that if you grow up in a, in, in a home and parents who love you, who love each other, and who love God, you find yourself strangely attracted to what they found attractive. I grew up in a house where, uh, you know, my, my parents were awesome. My mom's in the house. You know, she, she's awesome. My dad was a great man of God. They were not 
perfect parents, but they loved God. And they loved each other. And they loved us. And after several years of counseling, I can tell you. You know what? You don't understand, man. The way we were raised was just so abnormal. And, but there's something about their heart for God that attracted me. And I, I just got to tell you something that that's what I believe. You know, uh, you know, you think about parenting, and I got to tell you something. My dad had great skills, but parenting was not one of them. Uh, you know, he, he was the youngest of seven brothers, had a couple sisters. He was the youngest in the family. Uh, they were extremely uh, poor. Uh, he, had, he was a prize fighter for drinking money. He was an alcoholic. He, you know, he, he, his family was dysfunctional. And, and I, don't, I don't remember ever, you know, my dad throwing a ball, and I caught it and threw it back. He threw stuff at me, but it wasn't like a ball that you would catch. You know, and, uh, you know but, but his heart for God, it was his, his heart for God empowered me to overlook all that other mess. Can I just tell you that if you can just get a heart for God, see, you don't want to be that second chair mom and dad. A second chair family is like standing next to a fire, but there ain't no heat. It's like listening to your favorite music, but you got earplugs in. Or maybe maybe you relate to this. It's like going on a date with a guy who says he's madly in love with you, but all he can talk about is some other chick. That's like growing up in a second-year house where we love God for an hour and 15 minutes on Saturday night. There's too many distractions in life. We get stuck in the mire of compromise, and we send mixed messages. First Samuel 2.12, story of Eli. The sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. This guy, this, this, this guy's in the house of God. He, this is the priest. This, is, this dude, you know, he's got this relationship with God. And when their dad, Eli, learned about their corruption and about the scandal, he rebuked them lightly. Look at, look at verse 29. Uh, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And you know what? This story, if you read it, it just keeps getting worse. Uh, Eli's sons died in battle. And when Eli heard about it, he fell backwards out of his chair and broke his neck. The enemy troops captured the Ark of the Covenant. And all the chaos caused Eli's daughter-in-law to go into labor prematurely. And as she was dying in childbirth, she told the midwives to name her child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. You got all this chaos. Why? Because Eli simply didn't put the Lord first for a very contemporary sounding reason. He put his kids and their happiness first. 
and trying to pass on a legacy to his kids, he actually got them disinherited. And I think a lot of parents make this mistake because we're trying to, we're trying to please our kids, but first chair parents live to please God. Come on, I know this probably ain't real popular, especially if you're sitting next to your mom and dad tonight, but the reality is, is that in order to raise my children in the way they should go, if I'm going to be a first chair dad, I can't let my kid be on the throne of my life. Some of you guys, you know, uh, I don't know how many, how many ladies in, er, in the room tonight that, that are pregnant right now, getting ready, you know, and, and you, you know, you, you, to, to shift into the nesting stage. But I, I just, I just want to speak into the, to the heart of every parent in here. You've got to put God first. You, I said you've got to put God first. Eli didn't. And... and you know, you, you got to realize you have a responsibility for the, the, the belief system that your kid's going to live with. And I know that, that we're thinking to ourselves, well, wait a minute, I'm a parent. I can't actually be responsible for my kid's relational decisions concerning God. Well, wait a minute. If we weren't able to make commitments on behalf of our children, Joshua could have never said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to serve God. The Bible does not say, raise your kids as best as you can, and when they're old enough to make their own decision, maybe they'll choose God. Then we have to realize that we have influence over our kids, and the kind of influence that we're going to exert, to what end, that's up to us. There's a lot of parents that just kind of flip into, you know, autopilot parenting, and it doesn't work. And it ain't biblical. The close your eyes and hope for the best parent. They, they, they think kids are like beans. If you clothe them, feed them, shuttle them, in due season, we'll have a decent crop. How about the here you take them and make them behave parent? Don't look around right now. These guys have a management problem, and they try to use the art of delegation, babysitters and daycare and enrollment in the right school, sign them up for scouts, sports, church camps. The only thing that these kids are missing is mom and dad. How about the my kids deserve nothing but the best and lots of it, parents? Parenting for these people is a financial problem. Money talks. You've got a designer nursery. $300 baby shoes, expensive cleats for sports. It's just a remedy for the distraction and the stress. So you just head off to the store for more. What about the I'm sorry, I'm too busy working parent? That parent sees parenting as a scheduling problem. Without an appointment with the mom or dad, the kid's just on his own. The parent justifies it. Well, how else are we going to pay for junior's college? How about to keep them under my thumb until they're old enough to get on their own parent? Parenting for these people is a policing problem. you got rules, punishment, detention, criticism, threats, manipulation, and general snooping around. 
How about lock them in church every time the doors are open, parent? That's a protection problem. Church becomes punishment for that kid. And the parent believes that bugs that cocoon on the walls of church will always turn into a beautiful butterfly. How about the run them everywhere and play everything, parent? They have a transportation problem. It's not the way to do it, according to the book. Every one of these issues has an underlying problem. Sin. Compromise. Slothfulness. Self-centeredness. Greed. Worldliness. Fear. Religiosity. Or irresponsibility. When you make a decision to choose God's desire to raise godly offspring, you've got to do it God's way. We've asked God, show us the right way for us, the right way for our kids. I'm going to give you steps to godly parenting right out of the book. Step number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's interesting, and we're going to read it in a minute, but when God starts talking to parents about how to raise their kids, he shifts the focus from the kids back to the parents. Look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 1. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I will give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it might go well with you and that you might increase greatly. How many of you like that part? I'm liking that. Life going good, life on an increase, and flowing, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as he promised. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The first command to parents, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It does not say, love your boys and girls with all your heart, your soul, and might. If the driving commitment for you is the love of our children more than the love of our God, you don't pass the baton in our legacy. We wind up seeking the needs of our kids rather than obeying the directives of our God. It's not just their good behavior, their business in church, or their knowledge of theology that's going to give them favor and influence. It's their love of God that's going to make a difference. And a kid that grows up in a house where mom and dad don't love the Lord their God. He's probably not going to love God. He's going to love football. He's going to love baseball. He's going to love soccer. He's going to love wrestling. He's going to love all the wrong things i got to tell you something. In the middle of the night when chaos hits, your coach ain't going to help you. God is. Step two. 
You've got to know and obey God's word yourself. Look at verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Can I just ask you, how important really is the Bible to you? I'm not asking how many Bibles do you own, but how much of you does the Bible own? Do your kids ever catch you? Study in the Word of God. Do you connect conversations with them based on Scripture that you're applying to your own life? Do your kids know that the Word of God is the joy of your life? Jeremiah 15, 16, love this verse. It said, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. When I discovered your words, man, I eat that up. It is my joy and my delight. Maybe you ought to start a Bible habit for yourself. You want to be a great parent? It's not too late. Wouldn't it be cool if your kid, when he came over bringing your grandkids, caught you reading the Bible? Get in love with the Word of God. Step three. Tell your children often of the work of God in your life. You know, I think kids need to grow up seeing and hearing about God's provision and His power. You know, that third generation we talked about with Joshua that that had slipped, they they had experienced, uh, you know, Joshua's generation had experienced insane things. The second generation had heard stories but they had never experienced anything. And the third generation hadn't even, they, they hadn't even heard the stories. And I think about where we are as a body right now and the crazy good things that God's doing. Yeah, parents, make sure you're telling the kids. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you need to be telling, isn't it awesome that our church on a Wednesday night raised $20,000 for Nepal? Isn't it awesome? And you need to be sharing that with your kids. You need to be telling them, man, you drive up 395, let's go for a ride and, and, and pray for property. And include them in what God's doing. Include them in your own journey. Don't make them get in the car. Let them drive. Come on, pray for me, kid. Come here, put your hand on my head and pray for your dad right now. Psalm 78, 1 through 7. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our kids. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power, about His mighty wonders. For He issued His laws to Jacob. He gave His instructions to Israel. He commanded our our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. I got a question for you. Who do you advertise for? You're a representative, right? 
you know, uh, and, and this, man, I got to tell you something. This one's going to hit kind of close to home. But I don't think, I don't, I don't think it would be hard for my boys to tell you what I love more, God or Harley. But a lot of us put way more time into our hobby than we do into our God. Thank you for that amen. What do you advertise for? Maybe you ought to get some magnets and put them on your fridge. You can stick them to the metal plate in your head. I don't know. Hang some art up in the house. You know, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. I know. Get a tattoo. I ain't gonna. But maybe instead of Ethel, it could say Jesus. You know, who are you advertising for? Look at this. Joshua chapter 4. Uh, I hear it already. I used to tell people to get tattooed. Uh, Joshua 4, verse 21. Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children are going to ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. This is where we crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God. I love that. For the Lord your God. For the Lord your God. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes. You're telling them the story. They weren't there. The Lord your God dried up the river before your eyes, and He kept it dry until you were all across. Go back to 22, isn't it? Go back to 21. Now, this is Saturday night. Hang with me. Don't write me hate mail. In the future, your children are going to ask, what do these stones mean? I want to encourage you to get some stones. You hear me, dads? Start leaving marks where God answered your prayer. Build a memorial so someday that your kid will ask, because if you don't do it, you'll forget. And you say, what's, what's that one about? Well, that's, that's when I asked God to send me the woman that he had shaped for my future. And I met your mama. Don't, don't try to act like you were such a football stud that she couldn't stay away from you. Tell the truth. God answered my prayer. <laughs> he heard the cry of my heart. And he blessed me with a beautiful woman that you call mom. Start marking all the places where God moves in your life and celebrate it and tell your kids about it. Step four, teach your kids God's Word. Psalm 78, 5-7, New Living. For He issued His laws to Jacob. He gave His instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. 
so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, so that they could teach their own children. Don't assume it's somebody else's job to teach your kid the Word. Well, that's why I bring him to church. Well, you're not real smart. Because it ain't our responsibility to teach your kids the Word. It's yours. You know, let me share a couple of different mindsets with you. See, a second chair parent hauls his kid to church, hoping church will somehow help his kid. But a first chair parent brings his kid to church knowing that the gifting in his kid is going to bless the church. Train up a child in the way he should go. Look at Proverbs 22.6 in, in, the, in the Amplified. It's the last one I gave you. Train up a child in the way he should go and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. You've got to have some discernment to know what God's working in your child and realize that he's gifted, he's called, he's anointed, she's blessed of God, called of God, she's a gift to the body, and, and, and you're raising her and you're bringing her to the house knowing that she's going to, she, she's actually, she's going to do what you do. She's going she's gonna to give her heart to the house. She's going to invest her finances in the work of God. She's going to share her gifts for the betterment of the body. And she's going to do what you do. She's gifted and blessed and called and anointed. And we're not bringing here hoping she gets better. We're bringing here, her here because she makes the house stronger. You've got to realize that that child that God has blessed you with, man, she or he is godly offspring, and we gotta gotta treat them that way. We gotta you know get them excited about about God. I'm so thankful that you know my my three sons. We are not perfect parents. We have had horrendous collisions in parenting. Okay, uh, you know I've been called up by the Pope Pope to come bail them out of jail. We've had it all. But there's something about the heart for God and, and, and always speaking life into them and telling them that God's got a call on your life. And now they serve in the house. They love God. You can't be afraid. Well, well you know, man, I'm making them choose between, between sports and between God. No, you can, it's, not, it's not either or. It's both. Now, I want, I, you know, I used to tell TJ when he was a skateboard fanatic, take God to the skate park. You know, if that's what you're going to do, then figure out a way to take God to the skate park. But don't go home without God. Don't leave the house without God. Don't connect with friends without God. Do, do they always obey? Hardly ever. But when they're old, Train them up. Teach them. This is your job. Look at somebody. Tell them it's your job. You know, there's four different levels of teaching just in Deuteronomy 6. If you go read it, I don't, I don't have time. But uh, it said teach them diligently. That's like formal teaching. It's like sitting them down with a lesson plan. And, and, and okay, at 6.30, we're having oatmeal. Before you go to school, here's John 10.10. 10. The thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have and enjoy life in abundance through the talk till it overflows. Now, listen, this is what this means today. That's what diligently teaching is. 
He said, talk about it when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up. This is informal teaching taught throughout the course of a natural day. You bind them as a sign upon your hand and frontless between your eyes. You know, they had a custom, uh, the Jewish people had a custom of taking Scripture and wrapping it in cloth, tying it to the hand or around their forehead so they wouldn't forget. You know, it's kind of like your Jesus T-shirt or a wristband. It's just a teaching tool so that you can train your kid to know the Word of God. Write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates, and go public. This house serves God. And, you know, let them know we're serving Jesus. Step five, real quick. Lead your child to Christ. Come on, guys, don't wait for them to find Jesus in kids' church. Enjoy the awesome experience of leading your own child to Christ. How young is too young? Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these kids. And step six, encourage and train your child to love and serve God. Train your kids. You're going to pass a baton. You know, to, to, to help you remember this, I'm, a, I'm going to have the guys, they got these? How many do we have? One for every parent, for every house. Yeah, one for every house, I think. Okay, so as these buckets come, will you just take one? Pick your favorite color. And, 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 and use this, you know, to, to, hey, get your hands off that. No, don't use it for that. Um, I, I just want you to, you know, I want to challenge you to carry this for a while. You know, one for every mom and dad. Not, not one for every mom, one for every dad, one for every house. I, I just, I want to challenge you to, to take this and realize, you know what? I'm going to pass a baton. I'm going to pass this thing. and uh, As I pursue God life, it's not just about my life. But what God intended is godly offspring. And you know what? You might be here tonight and your kids might be so far from God. And on the inside, your heart might be, might, might be aching and, and you, you could be broken because it just seems like you, you know, you, the enemy, if he can, he'll try, to, he'll try to beat you up with condemnation because you, look at all the mistakes you made and look at your kids and they're not serving God. And, and, and I want you to understand something. We have promises. He said, we have promises in the Word of God. All my children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of my children. And the reality is, is that in, in my humanness, is that a word? It is now. In my humanness, if, if my children were just left up to my parenting skill, they would be messed up kids. But the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God is reaching into their lives. This is why the bottom line for a parent is courage to do it his way. Before we leave here tonight, I, I, I want to ask you, 
you parents, if, if you have kids that are on your heart tonight, I want my kids to know God. I don't, I don't want my kids separated from God. I, I want you right where you are just to stand to your feet, and I'm just going to pray with you. And we're going to believe God that, you know, in our weakness, His strength shows up. The places where we've made mistakes and we've failed, well, that's the place where His grace abounds, where sin abounds, where we've missed the mark. His grace much more abounds. Would you just reach over and take somebody's hand and... Father, right now, we just lock shields with each other and with you. And Father, we thank you that there's mercy that never runs out. I pray for every parent that's in this room tonight that's standing, that that their heart cries out to you, God. We lift these children up to you, and Father, we know that you gave them to us as a blessing, and Father, there's, there's, in, in, every one of our, in every one of our situations, there's places where we've missed the mark. God, we just thank you tonight that your grace is so much bigger than our failures. And that you're going to empower us to live such a life filled with the love of God that it reaches our children. Lord, you're going to surround them with people who love you. And you're going to break chains of bondage in their lives. And, and Lord, relationships that are, that are inspired of hell, we come against it right now in Jesus' name. And we bind the, the power of the enemy. We have authority over him. And we take that authority tonight, Father. <laughs> and and we, we declare that our house is free. And your word says that if we put our entire trust in the master Jesus, we'll live the life we're meant to in our entire household too. So, Father, we thank you tonight that whatever it looks like, feels like, tastes like, smells like, that's not the issue. The issue is we've got a promise from God. And we take courage tonight and we put our hope in you. And, Father, we will rise up and demonstrate Satan's defeat. And we reverse the curse in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Father, for household salvation. And we give you glory for it. And we praise your name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give God one more big praise tonight. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come on, these are your kids. This is your house. Thank Him for it. Thank Him for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Would you be seated for just one more minute? I just want us to pray together, and I want you to bow your head.